Good morning, Life Center. Happy New Year. What's up? It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Get to all be in church together. Who's happy to be here? Who's happy to be alive? Oh, there you go. We'll, we'll agree on something in a minute, and we'll get you excited. Who's tired? <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. At least you're honest, and I like that. We're in church. You should be honest. You don't want to lie in the house of God. That could not bode well for you if you decide to lie in the house of God. We're glad you're here. If you're a guest, we want to welcome you. We want you to feel at home. But most importantly of all, we want you to feel Jesus, and we want him to do something special in your life today. Amen? Amen. Happy New Year. I hope you had a great time celebrating with your family, your friends. I hope you ate a lot of good food, but not too much. There were a couple of occasions where I was sitting on the couch this in the last week and a half. I'm like, I ate just a little bit too much. You know that feeling? You have that happy medium between, man, that was really good and I feel great, and, and that, that you have like four or five more bites, and that next feeling you get is like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done those last few and you feel kind of miserable and a little bit too full, and yeah. Some of y'all don't, some of y'all are honest, you're laughing with me, but some of y'all don't want us to know that you do that. And some of y'all are just that good that you don't. So hopefully and prayerfully, I believe that good things, great things, are coming for this year, 2019. And I, I hope and I pray that when, if or when December 31st rolls around this year, I said if or when because no man's promised tomorrow, and this whole thing could wrap up and we could all be gone by the end of this year. That got quiet. Some of y'all are like, I'm not ready yet. Hold on. Let's hold off on that for a minute. So it, it could, you know, no man's promised tomorrow. And the Bible says that no man knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man's going to return. So hopefully you're excited about that and not worried. So hopefully we'll look back on this year and we'll see some amazing things that, that God has done. And, and I'm, I'm excited about what is going on. And in this month, we're going to start a series. You saw the video called Selfless. And it's, it's going to challenge us and it's going to make us better. Because I believe that we have to be the very best we can be. And I believe we have to be the best version of ourselves in order for God to do with us and do through us what he wants to do. Does anybody believe that? Yes. We don't need to just... He'll take us any way that we come to him. Any condition, anything going on, he'll take us any way that we come to him. But he will not leave us like that. And we need to make sure that we're not just remaining the same old heap of mess that we came to Jesus as. Does that make sense? It should make sense. So... Who made New Year's resolutions? Just show of hands. Be honest. Only five of y'all made New Year's resolutions. <laughs> Somebody said, that's terrible. I would say, if I had to guess, a lot more than five of us made New Year's resolutions. Do you realize, on the, the, the other side of this, that most New Year's resolutions are self-centered? We haven't really thought of it that way, have we? They're mostly self-centered. It's not a terrible thing because we sh I just said that Jesus needs the best version of, of us that we could possibly be. But most New Year's resolutions are very self-centered. What is the most common New Year's resolution? <laughs> How do all of y'all know that? <laughs> the most common New Year's resolution is to lose weight and like stop smoking and stop drinking. Um, all, those, all those things to be organized, to be on time. Let's go back to the lose weight. I was at a family reunion one time. I was a teenager, 
And my uncle that's passed on now was there, and my aunt was there. Her name's Gigi. His name's Ben. And, and she walked in, and, and she was... They're, they're pretty funny, those two together, when he was alive. And she walked in, and she said, Ben, how do I look? I've lost 20 pounds. And she was all excited because she had lost 20 pounds. And he looked at her. He's like, turn around. <laughs> and she turned around. He said, I think I found it. <laughs> Not quite the response she was looking for. But she had purpose that she was going to lose 20 pounds, and she did, and she felt pretty good about it. It's just that he, being her older brother, couldn't let her get by with that, and he wasn't going to let her feel that good for that long. (laughs) So that's the most common New Year's resolution is to lose weight, be a better spouse, be a better parent, be a better friend, get a promotion, anybody? Make more money, finish your degree, get better grades, students. All these are great things to resolve to do, but every one of those things revolves around who? It revolves around me and what I want to do and what's going to benefit me and how it's going to make my life better. It's all about me. You may not realize this, but we live in a very extremely self-centered world. We do. The first time this ever happened to me was, was last week. Uh, my dad was in town, and we had gone to lunch last Sunday, and they wanted to go to a specific store up in Abingdon, so we went there, and while we were in the shopping center, we went down to a store that sells home stuff, like pillows and blankets and rugs and whatever you want for your house is in there. So we went to the store, and I, I walked in, and we had already been to another store, and we had had lunch, and you know, I was, the sleep monster was on me, and I was wanting a nap. And um, we were in there, and, and I was looking around. And it's the first time I've ever had this experience that my stomach just kind of turned. Because I looked around and the aisles were like this narrow and shelves of stuff just everywhere. And the store was completely full of people and people pushing around carts that had like this much stuff in the carts. And I told Twana later, I'm like, it's, the Bible really is so accurate. Imagine that. When it says the eyes of man are never full. What does that mean? It means we're never satisfied. We never have enough. And I looked, I looked around at the shelves of the store and it's full of everything from spoons to a, a 10 by 16 rug. And everything in between. And people are just grabbing stuff. And there's so much stuff everywhere. And I, I had this thought, first time ever, at 46 years old, we are just selfish people, and we never get enough stuff. Another decoration, a trinket, a throw pillow. You can never have enough throw pillows, right? Just a a tinge of sarcasm there, just a little bit. But we live in this world where everything is about us, and we want our stuff around us, and we never can have enough stuff because our stuff comforts us. It comforts us. It makes us feel like we've achieved something. And it makes us look better to other people. Because the more stuff we have, the more accomplished we feel, the more confident we feel. And the more stuff we have, the more successful we think we look. It makes us look good. Like our social media selfies. Ducklips has kind, of, kind of gone, it's not as popular as it used to be. Thank God. 
But, but selfies are still alive and well. And we will find... Let's, I really want transparency here. How many of you all have taken five selfies to get the right one to post? <laughs> there are people calling people's names. <laughs> when, when we take these selfies, we want the right light. We want our best side, the, the best look for our hair, the best outfit. Definitely the, 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 the angle that makes us look the most thin. It makes us look the best. Our skin color is the best. We, we won't take a selfie. In, we won't post a selfie we take in certain lighting conditions because we look washed out. We've got the art of the selfie perfected. And every time we post those things on social media, every, every like we get, every heart we get, every favorite, every share, it releases something in our brain called dopamine. Who knows what it is? It releases something in our brain called dopamine, and we're a bit more addicted to the rush of the image, of the approval. So more purchasing follows, and more selfies will follow. I'm not just saying that. A study done by, by a, a New York University professor said that when people like or comment on social platforms, their brains release dopamine, a chemical associated with pleasure-seeking, which makes it at risk for, for addiction and abuse. It's the same chemical reaction that happens when someone eats delicious food. I like that. Uses other substances, has sex, things like that. It's the same chemical. And it has the same reaction, albeit on a lower scale, as cocaine. So when you hear the, when you hear the phrase, Facebook's like crack... It's the actual truth. It's just on a lesser scale. But over time, as we get more and more, and as we become more addicted, I've heard of people arguing and getting offended at their friends and family because they didn't like their post. <laughs> How long have you been using? <laughs> Look at what I did. Look at what I have. It becomes all about us. I challenge you today, I'm going to meddle for a second, to really look at your house, to really look in your closet, to really look at what you do and what you have and see if it says anything about your priorities and where, where you're putting what's important. And this is a fantastic time to remedy those things. Keep your resolutions. I'm not saying don't do resolutions because we need to be the best we can possibly be. Keep your resolutions but in this time where we're starting 21 days of prayer and fasting, we're going to begin tomorrow, and we're going to help us move beyond us. I'm going to help me move beyond me, and I want to help you move beyond you because it's not about us. It's about what God can do through us, and it's a, once we're in this kingdom of God, we have to benefit the kingdom of God and not just ourselves. Who's ready? Some of you are like, man, y'all don't kill my New Year's buzz. Beyond our resolutions and goals, our relationship with God can sometimes be self-centered. Who's ever prayed a, a list to God? God, bless me. Help me get more money. Help me to be happier. God, help me get what I want. And we always, we always think, it's always the next thing. Well, when I get this, it'll be better. When I do this, it'll be better. When I have this much money in my checking account, it'll be better. When I weigh this, it'll be better. When We always look into the next thing. 
And instead of celebrating where we are, instead of being grateful for where we are, we're always looking to the next thing. And sometimes when we don't get what we want, or life doesn't go our way, this thought process or even this statement follows, well, I tried church and it didn't work for me. Because we come to to God with a preconceived idea that when I go to church, when I profess faith, when I change some things in my life, my life's going to be perfect, and I'm going to have what I want, and, and I'm going to get the raise. I'm going to make a lot more money. I'm not going to have any financial worries. What did Jesus say? In this world, you will have trouble, but don't get upset. Don't get depressed. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't quit because I have overcome the world, and he's our advocate. He's our answer. He's our example, so don't give up on Jesus because you don't have what you want. Don't give up on Jesus because it doesn't seem like things are going the way you want them to go. That's a a self-centered God relationship. What's what's interesting is that many people think that God is, is really, he exists for them. He exists for us, to help us, to make our lives better. Jesus did, did say, I have come so that you can have life and have it more abundantly. But in creation, in the grand scheme of things, we are here to honor and worship him. We are here to bring him glory. Hmm. When Jesus asked people to follow, and this is, this is the kind of, these are the kind of words he used. In Luke 9, Scripture says, Then he said to them all, Whoever, that's inclusive, wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. He didn't say that everything would be about us. He didn't say that everything would be perfect. If we want to be a disciple of Jesus, there has to be less of us and more of him. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 3, John the Baptist said this, he must increase, but I must decrease. And the premise behind that is is when he was here, when, when, when John was baptizing people, he had crowds following him. And when Jesus came on the scene, John knew who he was. John baptized Jesus. And as, as Jesus' crowds grew, John's crowds dwindled. Because Jesus was the Messiah and he was changing the world. And, and John knew this is how things were supposed to be. He's like, Jesus has to increase, but I have to decrease. What better example of this that do we have when we follow Jesus and he's on the scene in our life and he's changing us? Everything becomes about him. In Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Put God first, seek him, let him change your life, seek his righteousness, and everything you need will be added to you. That's the premise of the scripture. It's the principle of first that we talked about in the series, The Blessed Life. When I put him first in my life, when I put him first in my life, when I put him first, we can change emphasis on any word in a sentence and it still means the same thing. God has to be first in our life. Good follows. Blessing follows. If I just attend church and I still put me first, the good and the blessing aren't going to follow because it's the principle of first. Scripture also says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I will heal their land. That's an if-then principle. If I do what Scripture says, then God will show up and do what he said he would do. So if I seek him first and his righteousness, all the things that I need will be added to me. When I put him first in my life, 
good follows. Blessing follows. It doesn't mean I'm going to get what I want. It doesn't mean I'm going to blow up and be larger than life. It doesn't mean I'll be rich. It doesn't mean I'll find favor just because I come to church. I find favor and blessing when I put him first. I find favor and blessing when I put him first in everything that I do. Look at the structure of the Lord's Prayer. That's not just something we recite. It's not meant to be just recited. It's it's a structure of how we can pray to God. Our Father in heaven, that's who he is. He is our heavenly Father. Hallowed be thy name. That's worshiping him. Your name is holy. This is who you are. I am worshiping. What is the very next line? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is who you are. I praise you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That means what he hasn't, what his plan is, what his desire is, what his will is, that's what comes next in our prayer life. And what's the next line? Give us this day our daily bread. So I, I, I acknowledge who he is. I worship him. I pray his plan. I pray his will. I am putting him where? First. And then I can go to him and say, give me this day my daily bread. Father, take care of my needs. This is where I am. This is what I'm feeling. This is what is going on in my life right now. Please help me with this. I acknowledge who he is. I worship him. I pray his plan, his will, and then I go to him with my needs. The structure of the Lord's Prayer is an act of submission on our part to the plan and the purpose and the wishes of God over our own because we pray his will and his plan first and not just what we want. It's acknowledging, it's us acknowledging that we follow his plan and we rely on his provision. That's selfless. Because I know when I pray his plan, I know when I pray his will that I'm going to be taken care of. That's a trust that you have to develop and you have to understand that when you pray his plan, his will, that he will take care of you, that your needs will be met. The Bible even says that he will give you the desires of your heart. That's, what this is, that's not what this is about, but that's a product of what we're doing. When we get a selfless mentality of, God, I'm putting you first in my life, and I'm going to give you what is yours, and I'm going to dedicate and devote my life to you, then we're putting ourselves in a position for the favor and the blessings of God and the provision of God in our lives. Imagine this, this scene of, of Jesus hanging out with his followers. He'd been pouring into them for three years. I'm going to talk to you shift gears and talk to you briefly about being bold in your witness. This is the example that Jesus left us. And when we get us out of the way, we put us second, then we can begin to, to share Jesus with boldness and, and with excitement. And I, I hope that this year, that this first message of this year puts us in position to, to get out of the way of, of God's blessings and God's favor and, and put us in a position where we are excited about who we are, we're excited about what God is doing in our life, and we are so excited to the point that we have to share it with somebody else. That's called evangelism. That's how the disciples turned the world upside down when Jesus left. And we're going to hit that scene right here. Jesus is hanging out with them, and he had been pouring into them for three years, and he, Jesus let them know, I'm going, to, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. 
And they freaked out, as we all would. He said, but that's not all. I'm going to raise from the dead three days later, and this is going to happen, and then I'm going to go to heaven, and you're, you're going to, greater things than these shall ye do. This is going to happen to you. And, and all this happened. Jesus died, dead three days. He resurrected, and they were hanging out, and they were scared. John chapter 20, verse 19 says, On the evening of the first day of the week, so Sunday they were all together, the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders were the, were the ones who had Jesus crucified. And the disciples were scared they were going to come after them too. So they had the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came, he remember, he's resurrected now. He stood among them and said, peace be with you. So Jesus appeared after being dead, after having risen from the dead. And Jesus stood there and said, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be in fear. I've got this. So they were hanging out. They were scared, timid and afraid. Who's ever felt timid and afraid? You didn't know what was going to happen in your life. You didn't know circumstances were turning upside down. You didn't know what was going to happen, how it was all going to shake out. You were scared. And that's how Jesus' disciples were. They had followed him for three years. They had seen him killed, and now they were just scared. And Jesus appeared and said, peace be with you. Understand their circumstance. Jesus had done all these awesome things, and he had told them all the awesome things that they would do, and they had even done some of these things, sometimes with success and sometimes not, but they had tried what Jesus had told them that they could do, and now they were locked in this room because they were scared of Jewish leaders, and they weren't doing anything. They were scared into inaction. They were just hanging out. They weren't evangelizing the world. They weren't healing anyone. They weren't forgiving anyone's sins. They were just there hanging out, and Jesus, here he is, peace be with you. Who, who's ever been in, in, in your faith, your relationship with God, timid, shy, and scared about sharing Jesus with somebody else? I've told this story before, but not all of y'all been here, so I'm going to tell it again. When I was about 11, 12 years old, going to church was not cool. It was back in the 80s, and... That's when we had church Sunday morning at 10, Sunday night at 6, Tuesday at 7, Thursday at 7, and you didn't miss it for baseball games, you didn't miss it for basketball games, you didn't miss it for PTA, nothing. You went to church four times a week as a normal schedule, and then there was other stuff besides. So church really was our life. And I remember vividly, like it was last week. We lived on this street, and 300 yards of the street was a gas station, and church was 20 minutes away. And it was back in the 70s where the cars didn't get good gas mileage, 80s. We had a 70s car, a 75 Oldsmobile Delta 88. It was brown. Anybody ever had one of those? You could fit three bodies in the trunk. It was big. It didn't get good gas mileage, and we, we didn't have a lot of money. My dad had been sick, and we, we worked, he worked paycheck to paycheck, and it was just tough. It was tight, and we would, every church service, stop at the gas station. It wasn't filled up on Sunday and next Sunday. It was, let's put $5 in it to go to church. Anybody ever done that? Y'all rich. But when gas was 66, 60 cents a gallon, 70 cents a gallon, you know, $5... You know, it was almost half a tank. 
but it took over a quarter to go to church and back. So every service, we had to stop and get gas, and I couldn't, I couldn't dress like I dress right now. This is back in the 80s. I had to dress up to go to church every time. So here I am, 11 years old. That's middle school, y'all. That's the worst years of your life. I don't care who you are. Middle school, in church clothes, in the summertime, not wanting to go to church because it's not cool, pumping gas in the car on the way to church. My friends show up. What are you doing all dressed up? Nothing. Where are you going? To the store? Why are you dressed up? Mom said I had to. Just straight lying. Because I was timid, I was scared, and I was afraid. I didn't want people to know I went to church four times a week. So I just lied. And that's how the disciples were feeling locked up in this room. Let's, let's be honest, okay? Let's fast forward to when I was in my early 20s. And we used to, who, who remembers Saturday morning outreach? Come on, some of y'all. Not a scarier time existed than Saturday morning outreach. Because we had to wear, not, not suits and stuff, but you had to dress nicer Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, had to be here. I'm talking when I was past 20. Door hangers, cards, little bags, all kinds of fun stuff that we had. And we actually drove to neighborhoods and would walk from door to door to door knocking. You do that now, you might get shot. But I, I remember walking, and I, and I was a leader of kids, and I was a student pastor, so I had, to act like, I had to act like and put on a show like this was awesome. <laughs> Greatest thing since sliced bread, and some of y'all are here that was in that group. Did I fake it well? Okay, good, because I faked it the whole time. And I would get the door hangers and the bags, man, and we would go out in, in the neighborhoods, and we would walk down the sidewalk, and I remember vividly walking up to a door and knocking, I, God, don't let them answer the door. <laughs> Praying no one was home. Because really, that's how shy I am, number one. See, God does miracles. That's how shy I am. And it was just, to me, so incredibly awkward walking to somebody's door. Can I tell you about Jesus and invite you to church? I don't know you from Adam. And here I am, Saturday morning, turn the cartoons off, stop eating breakfast. Here, have a, a, a church flyer. And I would just pray that no one was home. Or, that no, or they would ignore me and not answer the door. So I could take the door hangers, put it on the door, walk away. And then feel absolved that I did my part. See, it was a vicious circle and cycle. And that's, that's where the disciples were right then. See how you can take things in the Bible and bring it to where you are right now? Because sometimes God has done amazing things in our life, but we're just so timid and we're so scared about letting somebody know what he's done. And, we, and sometimes we just do it the wrong way and we mess it all up. So Jesus shows up, and, and this is where it changed for them. In John chapter 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side because he had wounds where he was nailed to the cross and where his side, where he had a, a spear put in his side. So he showed them his wounds to let him know, let them know really who he was. The disciples were overjoyed when they, when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He's commissioning them again. So he didn't say, well, you were afraid, now you've lost out. You were afraid, now you're done. He's saying, you were afraid, but I'm going to send you again. I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So Jesus breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. After this, see, when you're timid, when you're afraid, and when you're scared, and you're, you're not doing what God has called or commissioned you to do, that's being selfish. You may not mean to, but it's being selfish. And at this point, they went from selfish to selfless. They transitioned right then. And they went from timid and scared to bold. That transition happened right then. So what happened? They had an encounter with Jesus, and he empowered them. So Peter, the guy who, when he was asked, when Jesus was about to be crucified, and, and he was asked, aren't you one of those? And he denied Jesus three times, even to the point of cursing at them. That guy was there, and he was empowered, and he went on to preach on the day of Pentecost. That's, that's the kind of empowerment that happened right then. And from that room, literally, in the next few days, thousands and thousands of people were saved because of these men, and the world was evangelized because they were bold in their witness about Jesus. These guys went from being selfish and timid. Uh, they were afraid. They were being self-centered. They went, they went from all that mess, that, that just jumbled mess, to being bold and courageous and evangelistic in everything that they did. At one point, Peter was in jail and, and questioned by the high priest for, because they had healed a crippled man. And listen to what Peter said, the guy who had denied Jesus, the guy who was timid and hiding. Listen to what he said. In Acts 4, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. That's bold statements. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised. I love where he puts them. This is the guy who you crucified, but God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. He's like, you want to know what happened? Here's what happened. This guy that you tried to stop, this guy that you had the Romans crucify, this guy that you couldn't stand because he went against your religious traditions, this guy that you didn't like, who you thought you had snuffed out when you crucified him, God raised him from the dead. He empowered us, and this guy stands before you today healed because of what Jesus has done for us. That's, that's speaking boldly. He was bold in witness sharing what God had done. So let me ask you a question. What has God done in your life? Uh, what has God done in your life that you need to be bolder about? What has he done in my life that I need to be more bold about? If we stop and think about what has God really done for me, something's going to start stirring inside of you and excitement's going to start raising up inside of you and you're going to have to share it with somebody else because we have some pretty extreme miracles in this place. Some of y'all should have been dead a few times, but God healed you. Whether it's from cancer or addiction, God has healed you. God's done some crazy, crazy things in this house. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply about. Listen to that again. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. Good meals? Let's be honest. Like, dude, I went to this restaurant. 
I went to this restaurant. We were taken out for our anniversary last in August. And we went to this restaurant, and first time I've ever had a tomahawk ribeye steak. Mm. I've told at least 15 people since then. I'm like, if you got a little bit of extra money, I said, I didn't pay for it. But if you got a little bit of extra money in your pocket, go to this restaurant, get this steak. It is the single best steak I've ever had in my life. I, I promise the first time I, I bit it, I cut the steak and put it in my mouth. It was like angel choir went off. <laughs> it was that good. I told you all I love food. So I'm speaking boldly about what I believe deeply. That steak left an impact on me. Isn't that awesome? But what kind of impact has Jesus left on my life? So if I can be that excited and that bold and that descriptive about a piece of meat that a cow donated, if I can be that excited or that how much more excited should I be that God has healed my body, that God has forgiven my sin, and that he saved me and promised me eternity with him, if I stop and process that, if I really analyze what Jesus has done in my life, I'm going to speak boldly about what he has done for me. I'm going to talk about where I was, not glorifying who I was. But I'm going to talk about the amazing things that God has done in my life to get me where I am and talk about the promise that he's placed in me for my future. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. I was finishing this up yesterday, and I got this text message. Sometimes he leads to sends us food pictures. And I was, I was actually about right here finishing this up because I'm, I'm about to wrap this up and be finished. And, and I get this picture of this crazy meal that Jason cooked last night. And it, it just looked amazing. We, we share about what we love. We speak deeply about what we deeply believe. If we aren't speaking boldly about our faith in Jesus and about the miracles he's given us in our life, do we really believe it deeply? Do we really value what God has done in our life? And do we really place importance on those things and all the things that he's done for us and doing through us? Peter went on to say in Acts 4.12 that salvation is only found in the name of Jesus and nobody else. That's how bold he was. He's like, you want to know how this is? There is no, under na- no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's, that's Peter talking again. He's like, there's no other way to heaven than through Jesus. And here was the reaction of the people he was speaking to. Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, these guys that were turning the world upside down, these guys that had been with Jesus, didn't have the pedigree. They didn't have seminary degrees. They didn't have years and years of experience. They were unschooled, ordinary men that were speaking these things. And when when the leaders saw who they really were, speaking these bold statements, saying these things, and seeing people healed, they couldn't deny the man had been crippled. Now he wasn't. When they saw this, they they understood that they had spent time with Jesus. So what took these guys from being timid and selfish to bold and selfless? They spent time with Jesus. And that's what this 21-day thing is all about. 
It's about spending time with Jesus. When we take our focus off of ourselves and we put it on him, when we seek him first, when we pray his will first, when we fast and deny ourselves, Jesus said, deny yourself daily. When we fast and deny ourselves, this is the result that people will know that you have been with Jesus and you will speak boldly about the things that he's done in your life and you'll speak boldly about the salvation that he's brought to you. That's the result. So here's the question for us today. How focused are you on you? On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being barely moving and 10 being out of your mind jumping up and down, how much or how are people moved about your boldness for Jesus? Are you a 1 or are you a 10? This is tough right out of the gate for the first message of the year, but it just brings into question all of our priorities. So how, how do we grow? How do we grow in boldness? I'm glad you asked that question. The first thing is to simply spend more time with Jesus. That's the first answer. Just spend more time with him, focusing on the things that he has done in your life, giving thanks for the miracles and the blessings in your life, praying his will first. The rulers recognized the disciples as those who had been with Jesus. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. The disciples weren't anything special. The difference is when Jesus walked by and said, take up your cross and follow me, they did it. They just, blind faith followed Jesus. And they spent time with him. And they listened to him. If we're consumed, going back to the beginning of today, if we're consumed with stuff... If we're consumed with social media and your, our things, we won't have this kind of impact. But if I seek him first and put him first, I will have this kind of impact because I will not be so focused on myself. Seek him first and build your faith. Number one, spend more time with Jesus. Number two, ask him to make you bold. Do we, are there any shy people here today? Like really super shy? You don't like talking to new people? I hate talking to new people. I really do. It bothers me. It's, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. So that's just who I am. I'm shy. Ask God to make you bold. In Acts 4, after they got back to the room, this is their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Ask him. Father, I'm shy. I don't, I don't make friends easily. I don't know what to say. And he will help you. Why, why even pursue this? Because this, knowing Jesus isn't just about making your life better. It's not just about making your life better. You aren't just saving their life. You're saving them from hell. Yes, there is a heaven. Yes, there is a hell. And we're going to go one of those two places. Heaven or hell. Words can't capture the beauty of heaven and words can't capture the agony of hell. It just can't happen. We can't adequately describe what that's going to be like. Just imagine forever. The word forever. 
either the most amazing place that you could ever imagine and then some, or the worst, most horrific place you could ever imagine and then some. This is why we need bold enthusiasm, sharing our faith and getting the focus off of us and on Jesus and what he's done in our life. So other people, you've, you, you're where you need to be. You found what you need to find, but there's somebody else depending on you to share your story. Somebody else is waiting on you to know Jesus, to find freedom, to discover their purpose, and to make a difference. And the cycle goes on and on and on because you know your people. You get to the next level of your circle, they know more people. You get to the next level of their circle and more people. And before you know it, exponential numbers of people have been reached with the gospel because you got outside of your comfort zone and you spoke with boldness what Jesus had done in your life. Why? Why? Because of you. Because you put God first. You put yourself second. You denied yourself. You followed Jesus. And you became bold. Because of you doing what you're doing today. Because of you doing what you are doing today. Other people will be in heaven. Because you are going to focus on what God has done in your life and the miracles he's given you. You're going to focus on that. And the more you focus on it, the more excited you're going to be. And you're going to ask God for boldness. God, help me speak what you've done in my life to somebody else. Help me to share it with excitement. Share it with boldness. And when you do that, you're going to change somebody's life because they're going to see that mess they're going through. They're going to see somebody that went through the same mess and came out on the other side better because of what God did in their life, in your life. And they're going to believe it's possible for them.